We're going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. I'll throw stuff in church. Uh, Luke chapter 10. Now I feel compelled to say that this is going to be a normal sermon this week. Uh, Luke chapter 10. This is a this is a passage that I've that I've wrestled with for a while, and this message that is beginning this week and uh, and ending some other week um, is one that I've been been working through and praying through for for a good bit of time now. Uh, also, just to note, if you get the e-news that goes out every Friday with announcements and things like that, there is also a section in there that gives you a little bit of information about what's coming up. It gives the uh, the sermon uh, passage of scripture in the title. And it was interesting because when I started, Phyllis uh, told me the things that she would need from me every Friday so she could put them in the e-news. And it was a bit of a change for me because for most of my time in ministry, I never named my messages. And even when I did, it was usually after we had started recording and posting and I would wait until after I preached it and then come up with a good title based on wherever I ended up preaching. So that was that was an interesting shift for me. Uh, and just uh, something for you to know, because for me, the function of the sermon title is primarily to go into the e-news, I'm, I name my sermons based on what I want or feel you should be thinking about. And I was surprised that this week, and maybe just nobody read the e-news, in which case should read the e-news. I was surprised that nobody this week uh, got a hold of me or talked to me uh, and said, did you forget part of your title? Because if you read the e-news, the title of the message for today is just part one. And it's not part one of two or three, uh, because I'm not sure how many there's going to be. I just know that this is the first part. And there's no other title, it's not um, how to uh, better do this part one or how to fix this part one. Um, and the reason it's that way this week is that, as I've just shared, uh, I'm not entirely sure yet. Because honestly, when I preach, it's not just me saying what I think you need to hear. I am listening as much as you are. So I believe that this sermon is, this morning, a part of something bigger. And I have an idea of some things that we're going to be talking about in the week or weeks to come, but I'm not entirely sure yet how that's going to come together, because I'm not in charge. So, we're going to begin this morning in Luke chapter 10, reading in verse 38, down through the end of the chapter. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. 
But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, I am the type of person I would describe myself as a doer. Do you have any other doers out there? Any people that like the action, that like the, the productivity? Uh, when, I, uh, when we did the assessment weekend for me to get my district license a number of years ago, uh, we did this thing called a strengths finder. And my number one strength out of about 32 possible strengths was achiever. And for an achiever, uh, basically how it described it is you start the day at zero accomplishments and you go from there. So you always start the day at zero and the day stays at zero until you start to check things off of your physical or mental to-do list. And so if you're a person like me, you have probably struggled with this passage throughout your Christian walk. If you're a more relational person like my wife, then you read this passage to people like me a lot. And it's not that my wife isn't a person who gets things done, it's that she's a relational. She would much rather spend time with other people. A better way to say it is that my wife is better able than I am to see time spent in relationship as accomplishing something. To me, I struggle to see that. My wife has taught me to see that, and so I am changing, and I am growing in that. But I don't see it as naturally, and so I struggle with this passage, as I'm sure many of, many of you do. And it's made even more difficult, because beyond my personal preference or makeup or the, the way I operate, it also, it also seems to be a little bit at odds with some other scriptures. So I'm going to read another scripture for us this morning, because I want to contrast these two these two passages. I'm going to read out of John or Matthew chapter 20 for just a moment. And here's the story. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something, and he said to her, "What do you want?" She said to him, "Say to say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom." Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's one of my, to me, that's one of the most meaningful passages of Scripture. It's, for me, it's one of the most formative passages as I look at myself 
and, the, and just the way I believe that we are called to live as Christians. But if we look especially at the details and the physical nature of these two stories, we see incredible contradiction, don't we? In the first story I read, we have one person sitting next to Jesus and another person serving. And the person who is sitting next to Jesus is glorified, is told that she's doing the right thing, and Jesus points to the one who is serving as the one who is missing it, who's not doing it right, who's not understanding, who's not living the call of a disciple. But then in this other story, the people who want to sit next to Jesus are the ones who are condemned, and Jesus says, instead, no, you need to serve. So in, in, in one story, sitting good and serving's bad, but in the other story, sitting's bad, serving's good. Anybody confused yet? Well, stop skipping ahead, Keith. <laughs> Shake your head at me. Sitting, serving. And so I struggle with this. And I've wrestled with these passages back and forth and not, not in a way of, of creating any doubt. And it's not wrong for that to happen, but I, I just was, I've been trying to figure out for a long time how do we reconcile these two. More importantly, how do we figure out how we are supposed to live? Now, you may have figured out already as is often the case, that one of our first problems is we identify that the physical nature of these two passages seems at odds with each other. But what we, of course, have to understand is that the Bible speaks to a deeper reality than what's going on outside. God looks at the heart. And so let's look at, then, what is at the heart in these two things. It's pretty it's pretty simple to look back at the passage in Matthew and understand that, that the hearts of, of, of James and John and their mother coming to Jesus was not in the right place. They were looking to be glorified. They were not acting in humility. But what's going on in Luke chapter 10? Let's walk through the story. So Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus enters this village and Martha welcomes him into her House. There's no indication that the sisters live together. We're only told that the house belongs to Martha. So the burden of hosting was placed on Martha. And so she has a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, the word, the, the phrase sat at his feet was more than just describing a physical action, although she probably did that as, as well. But to sit at someone's feet at, in those days meant to sit under their teaching, to learn from them. It was less a description of the physical action taken by Mary. It was a description of her relationship to Jesus, that she took the posture of a disciple, that the work of her life was to humble herself before him and to accept his teaching. It was a sign of respect to sit at someone's feet. 
You'll remember there was, you may remember there was a clip that I showed from the Chosen TV series a few months ago. Jesus in, is in the midst of this crowd and there's all of this disagreement. He calls his disciples to sit so he can teach them. They all sit. The apostle Peter squats. And that's a part of a different piece of the story because Peter is angry at Jesus at the time. Everyone else stays standing, and then at one point, Jesus performs a healing. He heals a man who has an infection on his leg in front of the crowds, and they all sit. Because after the demonstration of his power, they recognize that he is above them, and they don't fully understand why or how, but they understand the authority given, and so they humble themselves and sit at his feet When Mary sits at Jesus' feet, it tells us what sort of relationship they have. It's not just saying where she was in the room. It's not talking about any lack of furniture. It's a description of the relationship. And further in that verse, the verb, the the word listened, the, the, the word listened, the verb listened is in an imperfect tense, which means it is ongoing. It doesn't have closure, right? It describes something that continues. So I could say that I drove to church this morning, but at a certain point, I parked my car, I opened the door, I got out, and that action was completed. But if I say that, for instance, I woke up loving my children this morning, that is an imperfect verb that continues. And so when it describes Mary sitting at his feet and listening to his teaching, it's not describing the moment, it's describing her entire lifestyle, that she was a disciple of Jesus in her relationship to him, and that she was listening actively throughout her life, that when Jesus left this town and moved on, If we assume that Mary stayed behind, that she continued to listen to his teaching through her meditation on it, through her application, applying it to her life, living it out, that was the state of who she was. And we get to verse 40, and we, we contrast Mary with Martha, who was distracted with much serving. And this is where this passage gets difficult for me because as we read in in Matthew, Jesus says that he came not to be served, but to serve others. He came to serve. That is an enormous part of who he is, that he put us first, that from the incarnation forward, he was putting us first. He was giving up what he had to be a part of the mess that we endure here on earth. Everything about his life is characterized by servanthood. And so I struggle with how much this passage talks negatively about service because it doesn't seem to make sense in the context of what we understand about Jesus. If you look at the words for serving in Greek, um, there's two here. Uh, Martha was distracted with much serving, and then she goes and, and actually talks to Jesus and says, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Uh, those, are, those are two different forms of the same word, but it's a word that can mean a number of things. It can mean to, to be a servant or act as, as a slave under orders. What's interesting, though, is another, another translation of this word in a way that it's often translated 
all throughout the New Testament is this is the word that's used to describe ministry. And I don't know about you, but for me on the stage, if I take this verse and change the translation to, but Martha was distracted with much ministry, that's a convicting verse for me. And it kind of does the same thing. It takes this word that we think of as exclusively positive and makes us come to terms with the fact that it's something that in this passage separates Martha from Jesus. She was distracted by it, which means it caused her to take her eyes off of Jesus. But again, we're not talking about the moment. The language here isn't talking about just the scene. And in the same way that we're not just talking about how Mary literally physically sat right here and in this moment was physically hearing the words of Jesus, but that was her lifestyle, that in her entire life she sat at the feet of Jesus, that a week later her interactions with the people of her village, in those interactions she sat at Jesus' feet and humbled herself before his teaching in the way she lived and treated other people. We need to treat Martha's story the same way, that it's not just about what's happening right in this moment in this particular house, but it's describing her relationship. And it gives us this possibility that our service, our ministry, can actually be the thing that takes our eyes off of Jesus. Good news for you right here is that there's a lot more... (laughs) You may be convicted by that. You're not alone, all right? That this hits this hits home for me. We get so preoccupied in these good things that we're doing that it can, probably none of you, but it, the possibility is there that our ministry can pull our eyes off of Jesus. So Martha is distracted with much serving, and then so much so that she goes up to Jesus. We assume stops his teaching. We don't know for sure, but at some point interjects and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. The other good news here is if, if any of us identify with Martha in this passage, Jesus answers her, and within his answer to Martha, we can trust that he gives us the answer that we need as well. So if you're sitting here and feeling like, man, this really sounds like me, this sounds like The Spirit is speaking to me, and I feel like there are definitely times in my life where I get distracted by the good things that I think I'm doing. If you feel yourself reflecting that attitude of Martha of, God, don't you care that this person is letting me do this all by myself? There's good news because Jesus answers. He says her name twice as a form of compassion and affection. He says, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. 
Here's what I realized in the past two weeks after decades of reading this passage. Luke, in setting the stage, describes the activities of Martha as serving. Luke describes the physical activities and that she was busy, she was preparing, she was probably cooking a meal and and getting drinks and this and that for everyone. Luke describes her physical activity. Martha also describes what she is doing as service. But Jesus does not. Jesus doesn't say, Martha... I see how much you're serving. He doesn't say, Martha, you're right, you are doing all of these things to serve us. He doesn't use that word at all. What does he say? As he looks at Martha, as he looks at his relationship with her, the posture she has taken spiritually, and as he looks at what's happening in her heart, what does he identify He says this, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Anxious and troubled. Which means, in a way, what Jesus is saying, I'm taking a little bit of liberty here, but what Jesus is saying is, Martha, Martha, I love you. But what you're doing is not serving. You may be performing acts of service physically, but what you're doing is not serving. And when he describes, when Jesus describes what it meant for him to come and to serve, this is not what he had in mind. He says, Martha, you're anxious. You're anxious and you're troubled. But this isn't serving. Not the, way, not the way I define it. Not the way Jesus defines it. Now, if we look on the surface, this is a passage about Jesus saying to just sit and listen to Bible studies all day and never do anything else. If we look on the surface, which has major theological implications and practical application problems because we would just all starve, <laughs> right? And I don't know, it, it seems like that's not very practical, but we're often just not sure what to do about it. But when we recognize that this passage is looking at the relationships between these people and Jesus, when we look at all of the other stories throughout the New Testament when there are other people that, there are other situations that describe, such as Peter's mother-in-law who is healed and gets up to serve them and it's not reprimanded. When it's only after Martha criticizes her sister publicly to Jesus that he speaks up about it, we recognize that it's not about the things that Martha was doing, it was about the way she was doing them. And we get caught in this trap as well. That we do and we do and we do. And we often feel like it isn't seen, it isn't recognized, it isn't 
appreciated, it isn't reciprocated, and we become bitter the way Martha was bitter. Because we focus on the action, we focus on all of the things that we're doing. So how do we avoid that? And what really is service if it isn't doing things for other people? Because I think most of us, myself included, if out of the context of this passage, if we were asked to give a definition of what it means to serve, I think most of our answers, most of our examples would just be talking about the physical, right? And no condemnation in that, but that's just how we think. That's how I would have defined it if you asked me eight days ago. Well, what, is, what does it mean to serve? It means doing things for other people. It means, it means letting someone walk before you or get in front of you in line at the store, even though it's a really long line and they have like a million things in their cart. Uh, service is cooking a meal for someone. Uh, service is cleaning up after someone. It's all of these doing things. But then when we read these two passages from here in Luke and back in Matthew side by side, we recognize that that definition isn't enough because then it doesn't make sense. There's a contradiction. So what is service? Oh, what did it mean for Jesus? Because he says, Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. It was a part of everything that he was everything that he did here on earth, and where did that begin? Well, before anything else, Jesus humbled himself. The first action of Jesus, the first shift, was he who was the power, the spoken word, the order of the universe, God's God's action that created the world, seated on high with the Father, above all things, Outside of pain and time, he gave all of that up to come and live in a finite, breakable, limited body. Humility is where Jesus started. And true service, I've come to realize, begins in that same place. Humility is saying that someone else is more important than you. When we come back to the fundamentals of what sin is, sin says take care of yourself. Protect yourself. You are more important than the other. Sin says if you can choose between being and enduring pain yourself and inflicting it on another, choose to inflict it on them because the pain is more real for you than it is for them. When we're living in sin, our pain is more real than someone else's pain. And we get into this selfish mindset that puts us above others. Humility is the opposite of that. It's saying, I'm not, I'm not that important. It's saying, I'm not that great. It's saying that I'm not better than anyone else. Humility is 
is, is never the mindset where we assume that our pain is greater than another, one, another person's. Humility assumes that the struggles of others are worse than our struggles. Sin will tell you, trust me, your day is worse than that person's. Sin will tell you, your grief is deeper and greater than theirs, so they should take care of you. Humility says, doesn't matter how great your loss, assume the other is suffering more. So service, in a Christian context, service in the depth that God wants us to understand it is simply this. Service is humility on the move. Service is humility taking steps forward. Because you can be humble within yourself. And that's a, that's a good place to start. That's what and who God calls us to be is humble. That is, a, that is a way of being, but that is internal. When you take that humility within you and you put it into action, it's service. Service is simply the active the active embodiment of an attitude and a lifestyle of humility. And so often, when we reduce service, or when we see service as just an action and a thing that we do, it becomes the opposite. And that's what happened with Martha. Because she didn't think to herself, well, it's my house, so I'm the one who really should be providing and serving. She didn't, see, she didn't see Mary as a guest along with everyone else in her home. She saw Mary as someone who owed her something. She didn't think to herself, it's so important for Mary to sit at Jesus' feet. I, I want her to have that time. I want her to learn. I want her to understand. And hey, I think we can all relate. And if you think about it, if you've got 12 disciples plus Jesus plus your sister Mary plus maybe even more, and you have to prepare a meal for all of those people with an oven that runs on fire and, and without a mixer and without instant yeast and without all of the things that we have in our modern kitchens... Because preparing, uh, preparing a meal for 15 people by yourself in your kitchen is not easy. Imagine what it was like 2,000 years ago. That's not an easy task. And we can, we can relate to Martha a little bit. It was an exhausting task that was laid before her. Here's another big lie that sin will tell you. It's perfectly reasonable perfectly understandable because it was right it was perfectly understandable that martha would be upset complete conjecture here okay i'll I'll even step down a step complete conjecture mary seems like the type of person that would have invited jesus to the house right (laughs) and like started the whole thing and martha welcomed jesus into her home but I wouldn't be surprised if the whole thing was Mary's idea. Again, complete conjecture. Don't write that one down. It's perfectly reasonable 
that Martha would be upset. That's an incredible amount of work. Your sister isn't helping. But how unreasonable was it that Jesus would come down from heaven? Humility is taking an unrealistic view of other people and setting them above you. It's easy to humble yourself in front of someone who is clearly greater than you. It's easy to humble yourself in front of the owner of your company. It's easy to humble yourself if the president of the United States walks by. It's easy to humble yourself before people who are in authority over you, although some people still struggle with that. Biblical humility is humbling yourself, putting yourself below others when it doesn't make any sense, when it's unreasonable, when it's inexcusable. But that's the posture we have to take if we want to serve like Jesus serves. Not just going and doing. And, and you'll know it because when you, when you approach service as a, physical, as a physical thing, you begin to adopt this attitude you begin to say things like, wow, it be, uh, would have been nice if somebody helped clean up after this. You say things like, be nice if I wasn't doing this all alone. You begin to notice the things that other people aren't doing instead of noticing the things that they need. See, I believe Martha, I believe Martha could have also sat at Jesus' feet and prepared the meal. That, that Martha could have humbled herself under his teaching in the form of humbling herself under her sister and serving her sister as well as the disciples and Jesus. And I, I truly believe that when Jesus looks at Martha and says, you're anxious and you are troubled, but makes no mention of service, it's because of this, that she couldn't serve Jesus without serving Mary. And Jesus talks about this, right? He says, you know, the whole, when did we see you hungry and give you food and whenever you did it to the least of these? And we'll show up and we'll come to work days and we'll run programs and we'll do this and that and we'll say, Jesus, I'm doing all of this stuff for you. And he says, if you want to serve me, serve them. You say, who's them? Well, it's the person that you most want to avoid <laughs> serving. When I say serve them, that one person who you think it couldn't possibly be them, it's them. Service is humility in action. Service is humility on the move. And if we can grasp that as a church, if we can grasp that as a church, that we are called to put the world before us, and then allow that 
interior change to break forth into action, that is when we change the world. When we allow ourselves to be humbled within and act out of that, that's when, that's when God moves. There's going to be a second half of this sermon next week. So we'll be praying about that. I'm praying about it. I've been praying about it for a while. I'm not sure what it's going to look like, but I know that it starts here. Because anything that we do that doesn't start right here doesn't fit the category. Anything that we do that doesn't start in this place of humility will just be the type of service that Martha is recognizing but not the type of service that Jesus recognizes, not the type of service that Jesus empowers, not the type of service that Jesus blesses to build his kingdom. It's just us working. It's just us striving. So we begin here. So let's pray this week about what it means for us to be humble as individual believers, and our relationships with other people. Let us look for opportunities like the one Martha missed. And she said, it's not fair that Mary's so close to you and I'm so far away, but Jesus could have been close with her if she had served the way he called her to serve. I got convicted of that one strong this week. Of... When we serve alone, we create an opportunity for Jesus to come alongside us. And sometimes God comes alongside us through other people. And sometimes he doesn't. And it would be also pray about what it means to be a humble church. What does it mean to be a humble church? What does it mean as a body of believers to see ourselves as less important than the community around us? And then how do we minister out of that? Let's pray. Father, we are... Uh, we often find it easier to be humbled in your presence than we find it to be humbled in front of other people. But I pray, Lord, that we are brought to an awareness that this week that everything that we do, every action and attitude of our lives happens in the shadow of the cross. Because it's easy for me when I'm working alone to cry out to you as Martha did, God, don't you care that they have left me to do this by myself, and I forget that I make that statement in the shadow of a cross with a lone Savior upon it. And Jesus, you didn't ask me to join you on the cross. You didn't say it would be nice if I had just a little bit of help up here carrying the burden of the world. And if you, if you don't resent us, 
for allowing you to carry that burden alone. (laughs) Not that we could do anything to help, but if you don't resent us, but sacrifice yourself for our sins, then how much more can we lay our lives down for one another? If you who created the universe, if you who were the the speaking and the action through which everything came into being, if everything that I in my life can see and feel and touch and witness and observe was obedient to you, and yet you humbled yourself and made yourself obedient to the death that we brought into the world, if you can do that, how much more can I humble myself before the people in my life? May we be a church that lives in humility, that lives with grace and understanding and peace and joy. May we be a church that comes to the very heart of the gospel May our hearts be humbled. May the actions of our lives before anything else serve. May that be the first call in who we are as people and as a church. May we start there and then trust that you will work to do more than we can imagine. We pray and ask these things in the name of our Savior, who humbled himself and came to serve us, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.